This week on Myths and Legends, there are two stories from Celtic folklore of the witches, monsters, and fairy creatures that lurk among us and their true motivations. The spoiler, they mostly just want a party. The creature this time is a giant who will make your commute longer, but only if you don't scream insults at him. This is Myths and Legends, episode 304, Among Us. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today, there are two stories from Celtic folklore, specifically Scotland and Ireland. On the first, an elderly man in Scotland is on a walk with a friend. A friend who has been meaning to ask him something for years. How long have we been friends? Friend asked old man. Old man thought about it. He couldn't remember. Uh, 15 years? 20? Since they moved into the area, for sure. All this time, I've never asked, but I've wondered. Friend did that little hand-to-his-mouth-aside thing. Old man groaned. <sighs> this again. Your wife. Is she a witch? Bro, you can tell me. I'm just curious, friend said. Old man pinched the bridge of his nose. For definitely not the first time and probably not the last. No, his wife was not a witch. She was just cool. Friend's shoulders slumped. Then he leaned in close. Really? Really? Old man said, yes, please. Then he looked to the tree line. And you all can come out. Yes, I see you. Really hard for a mob to sneak around. The mob that was going to nap his wife, old woman, and burn her at the stake rose from the leaves. Ah. Look, bud, I'm going to level with you. We know she's a witch. We just don't have any evidence or proof, and the bishop won't let them brutally execute people without any evidence whatsoever, so... A smile wound its way across Friend's face. Eh? You want the house to yourself? Maybe you want to remarry? Huh? All they needed was a word from him. Friend wasn't saying that it didn't need to be true, but, I mean, all the tests... The swimming tests, the scripture reading, touch test. She was going to fail something. Oh, witch cakes? Did you know about the witch cakes? You mix urine of the accused with rye and ashes and bake it and feed it to a dog, and the dog tells you who the witch is. Literally, anything goes. They just needed a word from old man. Old man said, good evening. He would see friend at the tavern later. Cool. Cool. Yep. Uh, one more thing. Um... Guy whose wife is a witch says what? Friend said. And the entire mob held their breath. See you at the tavern later, old man said. The crowd grumbled and everybody went home. Old man sat at the table while his wife finished up with the bread in the kitchen behind him. He was asked a lot if his wife was a witch. He thought the people were just closed-minded and superstitious, and 
while that was true, old man took a deep breath. Old woman, he said. His wife deposited two bowls of pottage on the table with bread on a plate before taking a seat across from him. She smiled. Yes, dear. Old man laughed. This was going to sound ridiculous, okay? He was just wanting to let her know that it came up today. He didn't think so. He didn't think it was the case, but he had to ask. A confused smile grew on old woman's face. Okay. He was being a little weird about this, but sure. What did he want to talk about? Old man chuckled. He didn't think she was, and if she was, he just wanted her to know that he was totally cool with it and wouldn't tell anyone, but she wasn't, so it was all good, right? But she could be, but she's not. I'm not what? The woman set down her spoon. Old man bit his lip. He was just gonna come right out and ask it. Are you a witch? Oh, yeah, old woman said. "Mm Mm-hmm. What? Old man's jaw almost hit the table. Yeah, I'm... I'm a witch? I thought you knew. Old woman sipped her pottage. Oh, still too hot. How would I know? Old man was getting a little indignant at old woman saying she was a witch, then acting like old man already knew. If, like, theoretically there was a gas that could ignite, and people used it to burn lights, but you could control the flow of this, again, theoretical gas, and someone kept turning it down lower and lower, but pretending the gas was at the same level, and thus the light was at its normal brightness, in an attempt to get someone to question their sanity, that is what this situation would be generally analogous to. Old woman said, all that aside, did he not remember, like, uh, last night? Hey, hon, meeting a friend at the tavern. Don't wait up. Old man called from the doorway. Oh, okay. Old woman yelled back from the other room. I'll be out doing witch stuff until dawn, like I do every new moon, because I'm a witch. Sounds good, dear, old man said and made his way to the tavern. In a flash, they were back at the table. Old man steadied himself, bewildered. Cutaways are one of my witch powers, old woman noted. Uh, they should have a talk about him listening. Old man rose. First, he held out one hand. Not listening to your partner for 30 years? Held out another. Being a witch? Kind of evened out. So, they, they were good. But she was a witch? That was so cool. Okay, he would never tell anyone. Hand to God. Wait, was that was she cool with him saying that? Anyway, he wanted to know all about it. She went out every night? Every new moon? Old woman ate her pottage. Well, I want to know all about what you do when you're out there. Old man smiled. I literally tell you every time. How much of our marriage is you just tuning stuff out? Here, look. Old woman said and started to wave her hands, but old man stopped her. Oh, oh, no need to do another cutaway. He understood. He had been ignoring her for most of the past few decades, but today, today was the day he changed. He was taking an interest. She'd see, today was the start of a whole new old man. And old man did change. When she arrived home, after the next new moon, bedraggled and sweat-soaked from a night of witch stuff, old man wanted to know all the details. 
and they were awesome. His wife had a very fulfilling life. In this instance, it was a new moon when witches like to go out, as we all know, and she slipped out and met three witch buddies. Together, they took some stalks of hemlock and branches of a green bay tree and changed them into horses, made a beer run, and while they were sitting in a field drinking, a creature of the night approached to play them beautiful music. Yeah, a little fairy guy with bagpipes who played them so well, the witches not only danced until dawn, but all the stoats and the herons came out of their homes to dance. Old man, though, had some opinions. Look, I, Jason, am not going to judge. I am a homebody. That being said, if Carissa could change a tree into a horse and party with stoats until dawn, I wouldn't be all weird and anti-dancing, saying that she would have been more comfortable at home in bed. Old woman agreed, but said hanging out with her friends was way more fun. It was basically every new moon that she and her friends got together. The next time, they took cockle shells for boats and went to Norway. There, they rode invisible wind horses over the mountains until they were in Finland, where they went to what was basically a big monster convention. There, around the fires, growing far to the north, gathered elves, fairies, mermaids, warlocks, brownies, pixies, and even phantom hunters, which are referenced once and then not explained at all. The witches feasted, danced, presumably got a bunch of swag, I mean, that's the conference, right? and sang with their friends. They learned the hottest new magic words that would carry them through the air and undo bolts and bars for them, and then they came back home. Ugh, ah, you would have been warmer in bed, old man waved off the story, going to make breakfast while his wife got ready to sleep. The next time they went out, though, he took an interest. It was more of a relaxed night in for the witches. Well, they stayed in the country, at least. One of them heard that the Bishop of Carlisle had some good wine in the cellar of his palace, and wanting to try out their new magic words, they made the trip to Carlisle in modern-day England, and there they turned into smoke and went down the chimney, getting past the guards at the door. They made their way to the cellar, where they commanded the door to unbar itself and the locks to loosen, and then they sampled the wine, escaped the way they came, and here she was. This time, old man was riveted. You see, he had one hobby, drinking. It was why he still went out with people who were actively trying to burn his wife. Babe, babe, please, I have to have that wine. Every night. And most days, I have to down that swill at the tavern. Old woman interrupted, saying that they had talked about this. He didn't have to, but he continued on. And I, babe, I haven't told a soul. They hadn't burned her, had they? Look at her here, all in one piece and not burned. Huh? Huh? That's probably the lowest bar for a marriage. I haven't led an angry mob to our home to burn you alive. And old woman recognized how low that bar was. She appreciated his discretion, sure, but she couldn't tell him the magic words. If those got out, people would be flying all over the place and having powers. It would be like the second, third, and fourth season of the show Heroes around there. It would be just terrible. Old man grumbled, but went about his day. He couldn't get that wine out of his head, though. He had to have it. So he planted the seeds for an idea. 
girls' night. He said he wanted to meet her friends. They traveled the world together, getting up to all sorts of hijinks and shenanigans, capers, monkey business, horseplay, larking about, tomfoolery. Okay, stop, old woman said. Sure, they'd have another night in. A girls' night. see old man throw a girl's night, but that will be right after this. I made margaritas. Old man danced in the room with the glasses. The witches looked at the drinks. Yeah, I don't have limes, tequila, or Cointreau on account of this being 9th century Scotland, so it's just room temperature ale with salt on the glass, but girls' night, woo! He told the ladies that it was so nice to meet them all. As his wife might have told them, he was a very grumpy man who preferred his sleep to any fun whatsoever, so he was going to go to bed. Night. He shut the door to the bedroom and then immediately flew back to it. He tries, old man heard and smirked. Yes, yes, he did. It's a nice night. Want to go for a fly? Another of the witches said. And then the footsteps went to the chimney. An old man heard the words. Now, I'm not going to tell you the words. Sorry, old woman was right. It would be irresponsible. But old man heard them. And since he has the impulse control of a less disciplined monkey, he exploded from the room the moment he heard the last witch swoop up the chimney, uttered the words, and flew himself, like a warlock born, the story says, up and into the night. Old man blinked awake, wow. That wine was fantastic. He slipped from the chimney and flew all the way to the bishop's palace. As smoke, he made it into the vault before he was himself again. He tapped the keg and then drained the keg. Now, old man wasn't a lightweight. But when you have a full keg of the best wine you've ever tasted, all to yourself in a quiet, warm room and you're used to like an 8.30 bedtime, well, he passed out right there. The next morning... He woke up, yawned, and stretched, or tried to. You see, he was in chains. As his eyes adjusted to the darkness, he realized he wasn't in the cellar of the bishop's palace. He was in the dungeon of the bishop's palace. Bishops have dungeons now? He yelled to no one in particular. Quiet down, warlock, the guard grumbled. Old man's chains rattled as he stood. Warlock, what? Whoa. Why did they think he was a warlock? How else you get into a locked room to drink all the bishop's wine? The guard unlocked the door. Old man did not say that it was, in fact, magic. And he wasn't about to sell out his wife. He cracked a grin. Chains couldn't hold him. No one knew his name. He would be gone in an instant. There was a word that would turn him to smoke. A word that... Oh. Wait... What was that word? Oh no, he forgot the word. Because the bishop did not like witches or warlocks, sure, 
but also had to make an example of any witches or warlocks who were going to bust up his wine stash, and then have the audacity to try to sleep it off while spooning an empty keg, the bishop had only one choice, to burn old man alive. They bound old man's hands behind him on the stake, with a mound of wood piled below, and haze surrounding that. As the bishop read the pronouncement, old man was wishing he had done what he told his wife she should have done whenever she told him a cool story. Stayed home and stayed in bed. No wine was worth this. The pronouncement finished, and old man was slated to die as a warlock. Old man swallowed hard. Well, at least his wife would be safe. Turned out it was more difficult to stay safe as a witch in these times, and it it's not, really, he heard next to him. Just remember your magic words and don't fall asleep at crime scenes and you're good. Old man looked next to him as the flames began to catch the logs and lick his boots. A bird had flapped down and perched on his shoulder. Oh, you don't want any of this bird, old man said. It's about to get real hot around these parts and he paused. The bird nodded. Yes, almost there. Make the connection. <gasps> old woman! He yelled out, then realized he was surrounded by a crowd. Old woman! The bird nodded. Yeah, been up to some magic, huh? It's not going well. The bottom of one of old man's boots was starting to catch. I, I didn't snitch on you, though. I love you, honey. You should go so you don't get hurt. These people are not fans of witches, it turns out. I'm saving you. I'm telling you the magic words so that you can turn into smoke and get out of here. And she looked down, well, turn into smoke the not painful and irreversible way. Oh yeah, that way is better, old man said. The bird leaned in and whispered something in his ear, and he smiled. The bishop, on the outside of the fire, squinted as smoke went up and the ropes dropped into the growing inferno. He, whew, was the fast assimilation he had ever seen. The attendants were skeptical, but the bishop wouldn't have word going around that there was a warlock on the loose. All right, we got him, he nodded to his followers. Well, warlocks are mostly hay, go up like nothing, that's why they float. The following morning after the next new moon, there was a knock at the door. It was friend. Old man answered. Hey, old man, he said, and then nodded to the wife. Mrs. Old Man? He sighed. He had an apology for both of them. He spread some nasty rumors around town that Mrs. Old Man was a witch and that she should be burned alive. That wasn't right of him. Yeah, turns out there was a warlock. News travels slowly, but the bishop got him last month while he was robbing the bishop's wine cellar. He went up super fast. Apparently, warlocks are made of hay. What a time of scientific progress. Anyway, sorry. Old woman smiled. She accepted his apology. Friend nodded. Cool. He slapped old man on the stomach playfully. Hey, they hit in the tavern later? He hadn't seen old man there in about the last month. Old man said thanks, but he was taking a break. He'd see his friend around town. The door clicked shut. An old man made his way back to the table. Last night was the new moon. You know what that means, old woman said, taking her pottage and meeting him there. 
He knew dragons, right? Well, did he ever wonder who would win in a fight between... Uh, old man held up a hand. He was going to stop her right there. He loved her. He would keep her secrets, but he didn't need to know her secrets. She could go out with her friends. He would stay here and sleep. Part of being in a relationship was still being your own person, and this was a part of her life that he didn't need all the details about. Please, it was way too scary. So, the story says that old man never tried to find out his wife's secrets again, left her to her own devices, and everyone was better for it. Next up, we're going to meet a man on his way home from work, though through the dark forest, the last place you'd expect to meet a bartender. But that will, once again, be right after this. Billy McDaniel could go for a drink, like all the time. He loved it. It was a clear, frosty night, not long after Christmas, so about this time of year, and Billy was on his way home from work. Shivering, he muttered to himself. A good drop of liquor would keep a man's soul from freezing within him, and he wished he had a full measure. Don't wish it twice, he heard from the darkness of the crossroad up ahead. Eyes glowed in the darkness. A small man, one of the fairy folk, stepped out, and he was holding a glass of liquor, almost as big as he was. Billy's face lit up. Oh my gosh, thank you. He took the glass from the strange, otherworldly man and downed it. The little creature said there was a whole thing, an, an agreement here. Still counts. This, this still counts. Billy burped. He was warmer already. Thank you. He started on his way. You have to pay for that drink. And my price isn't cheap. The little man whose features were sharp and wizened in the moonlight, laughed. Yeah, no, Billy replied, and continued on his way. The little man scampered up, but you gotta, come on, out with your coin purse. Billy looked down again, sorry, no. See, he picked up the fairy man and gave his little head just a, the slightest of squeezes. I can pop you like a blackberry, little bud, so no. Leave me alone. Oh, uh, unless you have more liquor. Stop, little man called out to Billy. As Billy was about to crumple little man like a piece of paper and toss him over his shoulder. And Billy did stop. He stopped everything. Breathe, you can breathe, little man said. And Billy gasped at the air. Billy's eyes asked what his mouth could not. To pay for that drink and your actions, you shall be my servant for seven years and a day, and that way I will be paid. You may move, but you will follow me. The little man jumped free as Billy dropped to the ground. He had relaxed while he was incapable of moving. Get up, the little man demanded. Billy rose. Follow me. We have a long way to go, and... Little man looked back. Was Billy going to step on him? No, Billy said with his foot in the air, hovering just above the little man. Tell me the truth, the little man crossed his arms. Yes. Okay, two things. 
no more stepping on me. In fact, every time you think of harming me, punch yourself in the face. Now go. The two ambled on through the forest, with Billy punching himself several times. Billy, bruised and exhausted, arrived at his cot in the morning. They just walked. All night. The little man floated some or rode on Billy's shoulder, but Billy walked until his feet were bloody. Now, he had to do it the next night. The little man commanded Billy to meet him after sundown in Fort Field. He told Billy if he found a good servant, Billy would find an indulgent master. Come nightfall, after a day of fitful sleep, Billy limped on over to Fort Field. There, the little man already stood with a smile on his face. Good, Billy came. He said he wanted to take a longer journey tonight. Billy winced. But since Billy had arrived of his own volition, he wouldn't have to walk. They were going to ride in style. The little man had Billy go down to the bog to pick up two rushes. When he returned, the little man took his rush and straddled it telling Billy to do the same. Billy said the little man was just gonna laugh at him. Do the same, the ferryman commanded, and Billy had no choice but to obey. When Billy mounted it, the rush stalk transformed, and, quote, a horse swelled between their legs. I like to imagine the rushes dividing and knitting themselves into horses underneath the people, though Billy didn't quite know how to mount his grass stalk and ended up on it backwards. That's... I mean, a fair mistake to make, though the ferryman still laughed at him, saying Billy should lay off the liquor if he can't tell which end of the horse is the front. He says, quote, liquor, though it can make a cat speak, can make a man senseless, which really says more about the ferryman's habits than anything. I'm not telling you how to live your life, but if you're drinking so much that animals are speaking to you, maybe pump the brakes a little bit. But they didn't. In fact, Little Man made good on his promise to be an indulgent master. And soon, they stood out on the moors, looking at a castle glowing in the distance. This is the point in our story where Little Man takes Billy's hand and the music starts. Both of them shrink down to the size of flies, and they soar through the night sky to go raid some wine cellars. Yeah, it turned out Little Man loved to drink as much as Billy, so they would fly undetected through castles and manors, slipping through keyholes until they found themselves in secluded wine cellars, where they would drink until morning. And that's how they spent that night. Come morning, as their horses unwound themselves on Fort Field, Billy said he would be pleased to stay in the little man's service if he continued giving Billy plenty of drink. Little man was very clear about what this was. He was being kind to Billy out of choice, which was a right he would remove at any point. This wasn't a bargain or a contract. Billy worked for him for seven years. He would see Billy tomorrow. And he did. For the next several months, Billy traveled with the ferryman, and night after night, they would deplete the stores of Ireland's wine cellars a little bit more. Then, around the start of summer, when Billy, who must have had an iron stomach, by the way, met Little Man in Fort Field, Little Man shared that tomorrow was his birthday. He was going to be 1,000 years old. Billy smiled. God bless you, sir. Then his eyes widened. Wait, should he have gotten Little Man something? 
What do you get for the person who has everything and also has you locked in a servitude for the better part of a decade? Gift card? Okay, first, cut it out with the god stuff, Little Man said. He was a pagan Celtic mythological creature. There was a history there. Second, he already had the perfect gift in mind, and Billy was going to help him get it. He told Billy to go down to the marsh and get a third rush. They would be bringing back another rider tonight. You see, for Little Man's birthday, he would be taking a wife. What? Little Man said, noticing Billy's grimace. Billy just noted that the way Little Man said that sounded like, you know, he would be taking a wife. Yeah, I will be kidnapping Bridget Rooney and forcing her to be my bride. Is there something wrong with that? Billy said, uh, yeah? Everything? Little man said, uh, uh, maybe Billy didn't understand the noble tradition of older men kidnapping women and girls to be their unconsenting brides. Billy said uh, he was going to stop the guy right there. He understood it. It was just terrible. I think you need to respect the classics. You know what? No talking for the ride. I don't need to keep hearing about how kidnapping women is wrong and I shouldn't be doing it. Little man paused. Also, slap yourself once every few minutes. By the time they made it to Darby Riley and Bridget Rooney's wedding, Billy knew better than to engage with people who never wanted to have a discussion anyway and just wanted someone to yell at. They slipped in through the keyhole and crouched on the rafters. Do we just jump down and throw her in a sack or something? Billy asked. What? No, that's barbaric. Little man shook his head. And the rest of this isn't? Billy crossed his arms. Do you want more slaps? Because this is how you get more slaps. Little man rejoined, before pointing down to Bridget at the feast. Little man would float down and sprinkle something in her food to make her sneeze. And no one would say, bless you. And if that happened three times, she would be in his power. Billy froed his brow. Wait, was that a thing? If people don't say, God bless you, the mythological creatures can hold you in their power? What did I say about the G word? Little man said, flicking his wrist so that Billy slapped himself. And yes, that's very much a thing. If she did it three times, it would be like his deal with Billy, but forever. And a lot grosser. Little man disappeared in an instant and then reappeared, corking his bottle of powder. Below, the feast was beginning. The priest was fussing with his knife and, in the clatter of utensils, didn't hear the bride-to-be sneeze. No one wanted to step in and do the priest's job and say, God bless you, so it wasn't said. Soon, in the commotion of the night, in the hubbub of the feast, the visitors, Bridget and Darcy's immediate family and all their aunts, uncles, cousins, and friends, forgot about the sneeze and the night continued on. Little man rubbed his hands together and licked his lips. He had half of her now. Not really recognizing this bad math, twice more and she was his. He dropped again and sprinkled the powder. It was quieter this time, the sneeze, and almost no one heard it. That was twice. Billy looked down. This was wrong. Here was a young woman of 19, dimpled cheeks, blue eyes, and, quote, transparent skin. 
not fair-skinned, not translucent, quote, transparent. True beauty is, I guess, looking like an axolotl. Amphibious bride or no, Billy wrestled with his conscience as Little Man returned the third time. He didn't want to let this happen, but he was scared, scared to cross Little Man. He didn't know what tortures the creature had in store for him if he put a stop to this. But if he let it go through, both of them would be tortured, both he and Bridget. There was the safe thing, and then there was the right thing. When Billy spoke up and said, God bless you, to the third sneeze, he chose the latter. What did you do? Little man shrieked. There's the safe thing and then there's the right thing. And I, Billy started to say, but little man really did not care about morals and just drop kicked him. It was like an Ant-Man situation where the little man's punches were way stronger than you would think. In his anger, little man said he discharged Billy from his service and he could take this as his wages. He kicked Billy in the head and Billy careened to the party below. Now, if a guy falls from nowhere and literally crashes your party, then starts screaming about the little fairy man who was going to steal the bride, you might be tempted to kick him out. The priest, though, decided to play it safe. He skipped the meal and married Bridget and Darcy immediately. Because, as we know on this podcast, if there's anything that predatory mythological beings respect, it's the institution of marriage. Bridget's revelation about the sneezes corroborated Billy's story, and the couple asked how they could thank the man. Billy rubbed his head. Ah, uh, well, make you use a drink. He didn't see the groom pick it up from a nearby table. And when a man was standing there with a drink from seemingly nowhere, Billy narrowed his eyes. You know what? He would just go pour his own. valuable lessons in the second story today. Do the right thing no matter the cost, and don't accept drinks from strange people in the dark forest. Another fun thing we get to look out for thanks to this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a glitter bath bomb, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that won't make you take five baths, one to enjoy your glitter bath bomb, and four more to try to get the glitter out of your tub, self, and life. Seriously, it has purported anti-aging properties, but it's like a punishment out of Greek myth. You can live forever, but you're always picking glitter off yourself. For more info on the membership, check out mythpodcast.com membership or go to Apple Podcasts. The creature this week is the giant of Smith from East Anglia in England. You might have a bad commute, and I'm not going to say that if your commute isn't twice as long as it needs to be because of giant attacks, then you have it better. I've been in LA, the traffic is terrible, and the people of medieval England got to walk through a nice countryside. Sure, they'd be pancaked by a giant if they went the quick way, but they all knew better than that. Everyone except for Tom Hickathrift. Now, the stories are a little hard on Tom. They call him big on stature and low on wit, which, you know, same sometimes, but he did try to support his ailing, widowed mother, that his mother was ailing because she worked so hard to feed them both, because he ate as much as five men, was beside the point. Don't worry about that. Tom's fateful encounter with the giant of Smith 
came not because he was brave, but because he was deeply, deeply lazy. He didn't want to go around the commons. All that walking, no thanks. He would take his chances. As he passed the heads in various states of decay on spikes all around the common, about as unsubtle a warning as you could get, he dragged his wagon. He was delivering beer. His mom had persuaded him to do some work. And up ahead, the giant loomed. Soon, the monster towered over Tom Hickathrift, telling the man that his head would sit higher than any of the rest, as an example. Tom replied, and this is a quote, a turd in your teeth for your news, for you shall not find me like one of them. Now, the giant, for all of his brutality, was not down for the potty talk. He was taken aback. He had people scream, run in terror, beg. No one ever stood up to him like that. A turd in his teeth? That was just mean. While he was processing all of this, Tom was tearing the wheels and axle off his cart, climbing a tree, and proceeding to beat the giant to death with pieces of his cart. No one makes him walk more than he has to. I like to think that as the giant was being beaten, he realized that this is what he had been doing to people? This was horrible. He wouldn't get the chance to do it again, though, because Tom defeated the giant and claimed the gold in the giant's cave for his mother, so they'd never have to work again. And the people celebrated the guy whose virtue was being too lazy to walk an extra 10 minutes. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. The theme song is by Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>